is as much as the story itself. Tell the story of the three little pigs to a group of preschoolers in a classroom, and you've got yourself a childhood fable. Tell that same story to a convention full of building experts and general contractors, and you've got yourself a case study. <laughs> Tell that story late one night with a bunch of elementary school kids around a campfire, and you've got Cujo, <laughs> a horror story about a rabid, bloody dog with a taste for pork. Tell that same story to the opposite sex on a first date, and <laughs> I think Vicky has, apparently. <laughs> that's, a, that's another story for another time. <laughs> kind of stepped on the punchline there, Vicky, but that's all right. You, you tell that story to the opposite sex on the first date, chances are good you won't get a second one which is not nearly as funny as what you just did. <laughs> Jesus knew that principle. When you tell a story matters as much as the story itself. And by the way, Matthew did too. You tell the story of the parable of the talents, which is the common way that we know of this parable that Laura just shared. You tell that story the way many preachers like myself do, and it becomes a story about our abilities and our skills and our gifts. But that's not the way Jesus told it. You tell the parable of the talents the way many congregations do, which is during a financial stewardship campaign, and all of a sudden it becomes a story all about money giving our money to the church, giving our money to God. But that's not the way Jesus told the story. The way Jesus told the story and the way that Matthew placed this story in his gospel makes all the difference in the world. And that's a good thing because that very difference brings to us a very important lesson that we need to hear this morning, whether we realize it or not. When did Jesus choose to tell this story in his ministry? Well, to get an idea, just take a look at the stories that he tells right before this one. The parable of the talents is found in Matthew 25. Let's take a quick look at what's in Matthew 24. And here we'll find three very similar kinds of stories. First of all, Jesus tells a story about a day that is coming when the Son of Man will return and show up rather unexpectedly. He then tells a story about how two people will be standing side by side on that day, and then when the Son of Man comes back, poof, one of those two will disappear out of the blue all of a sudden as a surprise. And then he tells a story about how a rich man who owned this massive mansion one day decided to go away on a trip and entrusted the care of his lavish mansion to, of all people, his servants. And while the master was gone on his trip, 
the servants turned his mansion into a scene from Animal House. And then all of a sudden, unexpectedly, without an advance call, the master shows up and catches them all off guard. Surprise. And then Jesus tells a story about ten women. Ten single women who are all waiting for that one gentleman suitor to show up, kind of like an ancient Near Eastern version of The Bachelor. I have no idea when this eligible bachelor will show up, but just to be sure, five of them have their lamps, their lights, filled with oil in case he shows up in the middle of the night so that they could run out to meet him in the darkness. Five of them are ready. The other five are not. And wouldn't you know it, the bachelor shows up in the middle of the night unexpectedly as a surprise. These are all the warm-up act stories to the parable of the talents. And what do you suppose they all have in common? God loves to surprise us. God shows up when we least expect it and asks us to do an unexpected thing. To underscore that point, Matthew tells one more story. This one is after the parable of the talents. It's a story that many of us know very, very well. It's a story of a master who separates two people, separates all the people out into two groups, sheep and goats. Depending on whether or not they cared for the master while they were here, while he was here on earth. The sheep are the good ones, the ones who took care of the master. The goats are the ones who didn't take care of the master. And all of them ask, Master, when in the world did we see you? And the master says, Surprise. I was with you. You just didn't know it. I was there when you took care of the hungry and the lonely and the sick and the thirsty and the tired and the naked and the imprisoned. When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Surprise. This entire section of stories at the end of Matthew's Gospel all underscores this same point. God loves to surprise us by asking us to do surprising things. And right here, smack dab in this anthology of surprising stories is none other than the parable of the talents. So Jesus tells this story about a wealthy man, and as wealthy people often do, he decided one day to go on a long trip. And it presented a question of this wealthy man. What am I going to do with my entire fortune? What am I going to do with all my money? What would you do? Probably wouldn't be a problem for most of us. We would just leave our money in the bank. Why didn't this guy do that? Well, because back in those days, banks were pretty unreliable. You may or may not get all your money back from the banks back then. And so... You might think to yourself, why didn't this guy take his money with him? Well, fat chance on that. We're told that this guy was so wealthy that he had a handful of what the Bible calls talents. Now, a talent in the Bible was one of the highest amounts of currency in the entire ancient Near East. 
It was the sum value of 20 years worth of wages, all condensed in a single currency. That was one talent. One estimate is that a single talent is worth today about $500,000. Talent equals half a million bucks. So you think to yourself, well, why didn't he carry that with him? Well, would you want to be walking around with that much cash when you're going out overseas? Besides, imagine, imagine the U.S. Treasury today minting a coin or a bill that was worth half a million dollars. Now, coins back in those ancient days were relatively small. Most of them, the lower currencies, were very small, made of common metals, imprinted with words or a portrait. But a talent, a talent back then was so valuable that it wasn't condensed in a single coin. A talent was massive, was this huge block of precious metal. Imagine a gigantic gold bar worth half a million dollars. Or some estimates, scholars say, that a single talent weighed 130 pounds. Well, no wonder this guy didn't take all of his talents with him. So, you might think to yourself, what were his other options? Back in those days, if you were a wealthy person going on a trip, you really only had one option. Leave your fortune with a family member to take care of. Someone you trusted, someone you loved. And if you didn't have a family member, find another wealthy person who gained nothing by stealing your money. Find a family member, find a friend, find a rich person. That's what wealthy people did. But this master, this master did a surprising thing. He does the absolute shocking thing, something that was so absolutely countercultural to that time that before we even find out what the servants did, this thing alone is enough to surprise us on the same level as the other stories at the end of Matthew's gospel. This master leaves his entire fortune not to family members or friends, but to his servants, his slaves. His ordinary, run-of-the-mill people. Now, if God is the master in this parable, which I would suggest to you in some ways He is, then this is the first surprising thing we learn about God in the parable of the talents. God is surprisingly generous. God gives lavishly to those of us who least expect it, and all of us who don't deserve it. We might think of ourselves as free and weak in comparison to this great God of the universe, but in God's eyes, God has elevated us from being servants to being children. Jesus said elsewhere in the Gospels, no longer do I call you servants, because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I have called you friends. So this master does a surprising thing gives all of the riches to his servants. Another way to think about it is this. God needs you. God has entrusted something very valuable to you. And God needs you to do something with it. 
But that's not the only surprising thing we hear about the master in this story. When he gives five talents to the first servant, the first servant immediately takes that two and a half million dollars and turns it into five. He then gives a million dollars to his second servant, who then doubles it into two. And what's fascinating to me is the way the master responds to those first two servants. Remember, this was the master, and these were the servants. All these, mas- all these servants really deserved was a simple pat on the head or a little pat on the back. But instead, this master was lavish in his praise, public in his adoration and affirmation of these servants. This was a shocking thing for a master to do to his servants, to show such effusive and generous praise to his servants. And it suggests to us that this God loves it when we do well for the kingdom. God loves to say those words to any of us who are faithful to the task, well done, good and faithful servant. Which then leads us to the third servant. You know what he does. He takes that half a million bucks, takes that giant 130-pound coin, takes that single talent, and he buries it in the ground. You want to know something? The problem with the third servant is not that he buried that talent in the ground. In fact, that is what you do with your money when you want to protect it back in those days. When you don't want to trust the banks, when you don't have a rich friend, when you don't have a family member to watch that money, and you don't want to risk the investment, then what you do is you bury it deep into the ground so no one else finds it. No problem at all. Jesus at one point tells a story elsewhere in the Gospels about a guy who had a very valuable fine pearl. And in order to protect it, he had an open field and he buried the pearl deep in the ground. That's just what you did back then. No problem at all. The problem with the third servant is not that he buried his talent. Do you want to know what the third servant's biggest problem was? He didn't really believe that the master needed him. He refused to be surprised by this surprising request of a surprising master. He said this to the master. He said, I knew you were a harsh man. Which was his way of saying, I knew you were able to do whatever you wanted. I knew you were infinitely powerful. I mean, the servant says, you're able to harvest crops in a field where you didn't scatter seed. He says, you're able to reap where you didn't sow. I mean, who does that? You can. That's how great you are. You can do the impossible. You are the master of this economy, the Lord of this household. You are the great God of this empire. Why on earth would you need me? I don't want to do what you want me to do. (laughs) Just like that. You're going to have to pay that kid later. Thank you very much. No wonder the third servant said, 
I was afraid. <laughs> I was afraid that I wasn't big enough for this task that you've called me. I was afraid that you weren't really sure about what you were asking, little old me. I wasn't sure if I could really believe my ears. I mean, I said to myself, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> this is a story for all of us little pigs. We've been called to do something really tough. To build a mansion when all we've got are sticks and straw. When all around us are the fierce forces of evil and suffering roaming about us like a big bad wolf, huffing, puffing, and trying to blow this whole enterprise down. And this master wants us to build a kingdom with these hands and these materials against these odds, you've got to be kidding. So we're afraid. You say to yourself, volunteer for children or youth ministry? Me? I had a terrible childhood. And youth scare me. You've got to be kidding. Be a part of a small group here at the church? I don't even like other people. <laughs> you expect me to meet three or four times a week? <laughs> What's that about? What's that about? You've got to be kidding. volunteer at open arms, give myself to mission and service in the community and around the world, dare to hang out with people that I would never normally dare hang out with and do things I'd never expect to do, you've got to be kidding. Read my Bible every day, reflect on it, let its words permeate my being and maybe transform my life, that antiquated book full of words I don't understand and stories that have nothing to do with me, you've got to be kidding. Make prayer a daily part of my routine and maybe even dare to have people watch me pray as I'm doing it when I don't even know how it works, let alone how to do it. You've got to be kidding. Share my faith with somebody else. Dare to open my life vulnerably to share my story with another person and even invite them to church and be part of the ministries of Hyde Park. You've got to be kidding. You see, in the end, this isn't just a story about giving money to the church, giving money to God. This, this isn't a story about our abilities. If anything, this is a story about how really unable we are to do what God is calling us to do. In the end, this is a story about our willingness. Our willingness to be surprised. Our willingness to believe our ears. Our willingness to be surprised by a God who has a pretty good track record of asking us to do surprising things. And in the end, this great God of the cosmos 
this author of all life and giver of all salvation and Lord of the universe is asking us, little old pigs, little old lowly, weak servants like you and me to be part of the family and to do something great with the kingdom. Can you believe it? Let's pray. Oh God, forgive our small minds and our narrow thinking. Unclench our hearts and the way we turn them inward upon ourselves. Because the more we focus on ourselves, the more we miss out on the beautiful opportunity to see you surprise us. To surprise us with an amazing task that you have dared to entrust to us the riches of your kingdom and asked us to do something with it. God, your spirit is tugging on our hearts in a different way with different people in this sanctuary this morning. For some, you are calling them to volunteer in some capacity in this church. For others, you are calling them to take a step of faith and to grow in their faith journey through a small group or through diligent prayer and study. Whatever that way is, unstop our ears, increase our capacity to listen, and enable us to be surprised that you are calling us to do something great. May we respond. And may we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.